Hey there, and welcome to the first episode of our brand new podcast. One, One hit, hit KO! KO. <laughs> uh, that was interesting. Um, where we're planning to launch a devastating blow of discussion uh, covering all things gaming, technology and entertainment related over the next hour or so. I'm Rob, one of your hosts, and I'm delighted to be joined by Amal, uh, our resident black belts and uh, co-hosts for the podcast. At least one of those facts is true, I can assure you that. Uh, you can probably guess which one. Uh, oh, how's it black, going? It's a black belt, of course. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 going okay. I'm not sure about the black belt. I don't think I'm wearing a belt. I've probably practiced that joke <laughs> many times by now. <laughs> um, no, it's it's going okay. Lockdown is still lockdown, even with these new weird conditional restrictions. But no, it's it's going okay. And um, yeah, welcome to our podcast. It's not really fighting game themed. Uh, implied by the name, it's it's more just video game focused. Uh, it's just a name that we you know found and you know, wasn't taken by any other podcast, <laughs> like our other 100 previous names. Um... <laughs> yeah, it feels like we've recorded many, many hours of content that maybe no one will ever see. Um, hopefully it'll do one day, but I'm glad we've settled on a name that we could steal all the domains for before anyone else beats us to it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be covering kind of a wide variety of topics, kind of predominantly gaming in this first session. But um, we're happy to go and discuss kind of anything under that sort of tech umbrella. Um, let us know um, if there's anything you'd particularly like us to discuss, whether that's Arkham Knights or other things in uh, our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, which all share the same handle, One Hits KO Podcast. Or email us at onehitkopodcast at gmail.com if social media isn't your thing, which I totally do not blame you for. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be pretty fluid for the first few weeks, um, just until we can settle on, you know, a format that we like and maybe the audience likes. Um, we'll have some guests lined up in the next few weeks, so you don't have to listen to us drone on, you know, for hours and hours, or hopefully not hours and hours, just an hour. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll be covering more of a personal touch to the podcast in terms of our perspective, our kind of um insights into games rather than just you know factual stuff and news we'll be maybe covering about you know the big questions in gaming what we've been playing taking a, a very critical look at stuff and yeah um i think we might as well get this started rob do you agree let's do it yeah let's go so why don't we go back in time to <laughs> what was your first impactful game moment oh that's a tricky one um yeah, like there's lots of kind of memories you have like early on, but that first kind of moment is is quite hard to pin down. But if I had to say one, um, even though it wasn't the very first one, because I, I did play Pokemon Blue beforehand and um, famously, I think I released uh, my Venusaur um, because one of my brothers told me to. I don't oh, know. Oh no, what? <laughs> Ash would be disappointed. Well, I was told I could catch it in the wild afterwards, but um, yeah, apparently not. Um, so I've learned from that the hard way. But um, I think the kind of first really impactful memory for me was Pokemon Silver, which was the, kind of the first, the beginning of a routine for me where I'd buy um, or get bought, because I was about four when this came out, um, every single Pokemon game at launch. And I just remember that um, 
I was the first person in my family to beat Red, who is the secret final boss. Um, and I can remember exactly how I beat him with a level 97 Typhlosion oh, wow. and a level 78 Zapdos. Um, so not exactly kind of a team building masterclass there, more just going for the heavy hitters. But, I, like um, choose, I like your choice of Cyndaquil there as your starter. Cyndaquil and later Typhlosion kind of has become the one for me now, like my kind of favorite. And I think it goes back to that day. But um, it was kind of that moment that uh, when it was something that I could do before my brothers and something that like I could experience kind of unique without getting spoiled for anything on the internet, because this was obviously before those sort of days, um, that just kind of stayed with me. And revisiting it in uh, the remake um, 10 or so years later was also incredible. And yeah, that's just kind of what stands out for me. Um, what about you? Yeah, so... I'm going to go for a weird choice. Uh, I shouldn't have been playing these types of games when I was a kid. Um, this was an 18-rated game at this point. but um, oh, it's, Don't it's... worry, we won't tell your parents. <laughs> I think my parents didn't care at that point. <laughs> but uh, it, was, um, it was a game called Unreal Tournament 1999. And Unreal Tournament is an arena shooter, kind of like Quake and a few other types of shooters at that point um, where the, when they were popular. And I just remember going around to my uncle's house every week I, I, my grandparents lived down the road um, and I was allowed to play PC games on his PC. Uh, this was back in like 1999, early 2000s. So Jesus Christ, 20 years ago now. That's um, crazy. <laughs> I just remember loving just, I, I was only playing offline multiplayer, bots and the single player. And the single player was just a kind of ladder tournament thing. But I just loved the fact that there was such weird kind of weapon variety in the game this fast-paced arena sh shooter type gameplay mixed with this weird kind of ladder type tournament single player where you felt like you were progressing towards a an ultimate goal of becoming cha the champion which was what you were trying to strive to be of this tournament but there were also just weird intricacies in terms of the amount of game modes there were in that game you had your traditional team deathmatch, capture flag, all that stuff. But you had weird like team-based modes like assault and domination, where you would, in assault, you would kind of progress against objectives throughout the game mode. It's kind of, it was kind of like a single player multiplayer kind of blend of game where you would progress through checkpoints and it was a push-pull type of gameplay from the two sides to defend or, or attack. Um, so yeah, I just, I just loved all of it. And I, I love the fact that you could customize your own kind of set of characters there was probably about a set of 10 teams that were trying to win this tournament but in the offline bot mode um you could name each of your characters and i remember my uncle essentially at this time our age gap was about only 10 years so he was like a teenager late teenager at that point and he could essentially um he essentially named all of our family after these uh, bots in the game. And it was just a weird kind of touch that I remember just being able to to play a game that resonated with my family, but also was just something that I just had so much fun, you know, shooting around and, and stuff offline. So, yeah, that's it's a weird, weird memory to have. But, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a real testament to Epic Games that both with Unreal Tournament and Fortnite now, they've kind of created two really iconic experiences for both this generation and last generation. Like, what are the chances of that? Yeah, and also the same designer being on both those games, Gears of War and Unreal Tournament, Cliffy, Cliff Blazinski, sorry, I'm using his name. <laughs> Cliffy B. But that's just a testament to his, you know, incredible skill and in designing in designing games. And 
yeah it's just yeah yeah definitely one of the most iconic kind of game producers and personalities out there as well yes definitely yeah awesome well I, th- I think this is a, a good time to go on to the next kind of big milestone i think the one that whenever you're talking to anyone about anything kind of gaming related really anything across any of the technology or entertainment spectrum is always what's your favorite of all time what's kind of the best currently that's really left that impact with you um and yeah like uh i think i know the answer to this uh <laughs> partially because we've had this discussion many times before but also because who wouldn't say ocarina of time but yeah what is your favorite game of all time yes my as you just stated uh, my favorite game of all time is just easily legend of zelda ocarina of time it is one of the first open world games I've ever played uh, as a kid. I, I bought the GameCube Special Edition, I think when I was about nine years old. And that Yeah, came... the Mario Kart one. Yeah, I've got yeah. that right next to me, actually. It's great. Oh, precisely. Yeah, it's, it came with Double Dash <laughs> and then a Collector's Edition with four games and a demo. Uh, the first were, well, they were Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Ocarina, Majora's Mask, and also a Wind Waker demo, which was pretty cool. Um, but I... I just loved ex- the exploration in this game. It just made me feel like I was the hero of a story, exploring this wide, vast world that had been untouched. Um, it's 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 a it's really a game about growing up in terms of you as young Link trying to save the world from this incoming evil force and then failing, failing midway. I'm sorry, spoilers for a 20 year old game. Uh, <laughs> but then also growing up with those failures seven years later and trying to resolve everything but not not just that but i just love the whole kind of sword in the stone japanese take on kind of you know that kind of old king arthurian tale of you're the you're the one of destiny that can only wield the sword that kind of thing um in terms of like the gameplay and stuff though it was just it was just incredible and so unique to the other pc games that i'd been playing at that time in terms of this was a game where you would the gameplay loop was exploring dungeons, trying to solve these complex puzzles within these dungeons, gaining these unique items that would interact with the environment and enemies in different ways. And you could use them pretty much everywhere. And then just adding to that diversity, having this open world hub where you just could explore at your heart's content, these little side quests and also just little little secrets around the world. I, I just loved it. And on top of that, just just that that simplistic story um yeah i I just yeah one of my favorites it is an incredible game um have you tried playing it again recently like uh, the 3ds remake or virtual console no so i'm I'm quite afraid of playing this game because it's it's quite an old game in terms of the games from the n64 era which this game released on the n64 and, and the ps1 i guess um lumped into there they've aged quite badly in terms of the frame rates of those games are quite low in terms of 20 frames and they're quite sluggish to go back to, but also just the graphical style, um, the, the mechanics and all that kind of stuff is has just progressed so much, not just you know overall video games, but also the Zelda series overall in terms of just quality of life improvements or, or dungeon design. And I remember quite a few puzzles in Ocarina where it was, where the solutions weren't obvious or were quite contrived. And maybe that wouldn't affect me as a player going back because I, would be able to remember those solutions but i think to a new time player i don't think it would be very well received by them um 
I just remember also the, the lock-on system, which was famously developed and um, templated by Ocarina um, Z targeting. I, I remember that being a bit more archaic and a lot of, uh, it was, it, it's just one of the first one of those systems where I, I think I'm afraid of that game being not aging well and me not enjoying it as much. Yeah, I went back to the N64 version uh, through the uh, special GameCube disc, as you mentioned. And <laughs> on one hand, I do kind of agree, like the controls are quite archaic. It's really, really hard to aim yep. with this kind of unresponsive C-stick. Uh, yeah. C-stick, yeah, it's, it's not fun. Um, I would recommend the 3DS version though, because uh, with gyro controls, which are a complete lifesaver, I cannot understate enough how like incredible they are mm. um and also just the 3d graphics which are definitely a step up and some of those kind of smaller puzzle uh kind of like guide posting um yep. they point you in the right direction without making it completely easy how to solve something yeah those changes really do improve the experience and make it better uh, so I'd, I'd say that's definitely something worth revisiting. But when I went back to it myself, this must have been about five or six years ago when the 3DS version went out, I found the story kind of had a, a different sort of impact on me, a sort of a second wave, I guess, where um, because it's a tale of Link growing up and you spend so long in those kind of first three dungeons as a child and yeah. Link sees his friends in this like really lively world, then he takes the must sword out of the pedestal in the temple of time and then is instantly aged it really does a good job of kind of portraying a story of growing up i guess yeah and that's something that as a child is like really impactful in one way because it kind of says about some of the difficulties of growing up when you actually start doing it yourself and go through it it's really interesting how much of a kind of timeless story nintendo created yeah and i like the use of time there with the the game central attack mechanic <laughs> of time totally unintentional i'm not that witty but so, yeah like, it's so so good yeah it's it's just an incredible game recommend playing it uh, if you haven't and um, perhaps i'll get around to it if they release a 4k version <laughs> so rob i've talked about my favorite game but what is your favorite game of all time Without wanting to make this too much of a Zelda fest, um, especially this very specific N64 Zelda <laughs> region of time, uh, again, going back to time, it's just a iconic concept. I'd have to say The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask um, for, I think, a few reasons similar to what you mentioned for Ocarina of Time, but also just how it's so different and how despite being a game created in really unique time constraints i think it had about a year of development time basically yeah. reusing assets but um, that's really really short so for anyone that hasn't played it and i try not to spoil too much for you the central mechanic is the world's going to end in three days and link needs to stop that and as you probably expect you can't really save the world in three days straight. So Link uses his ocarina and the Song of Time to go back to the start of that cycle and then has three days to try and get as far as he can, save different regions across the world. There's think, four kind of main areas. Think Groundhog Day. but Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> although every time you play this song, everything that Link does to save the region of Termina gets reversed. So you may save a swamp from being poisoned or save a kind of mountain area from being um, 
cursed with this like eternal snow. Um, all of that is undone as soon as he plays his song. And this leads to some quite kind of dark concepts and um, this feeling of kind of this ominous atmosphere that you can see the moon above you this whole time and it can it's going to fall into the earth and, and there's nothing what, you can do. And when you say you can see the moon above you, it is really, really close. And it gets closer and closer as the days progress in the game. It does, and like his eyes are like red with anger, or you think it's anger, but it could also just be kind of suffering. I don't know. Like there's yeah. these really kind of like intricate elements that Nintendo absolutely nailed. But uh, I think that my kind of biggest memory, um, and one of the main reasons why I love Majora's Mask so much, is actually the kind of subtle sound design, and also oh. the really incredible side quests and side characters that the game implemented. Yep. Both of which were two things that I think Ocarina didn't really put as much emphasis on, with uh, a desire to be more of this kind of big grandiose adventure. It was definitely uh, a link to the past, but 3D ocarina Not yeah to... and it, it executes that concept like to perfection really like it, it for what link to the past was in 2d it couldn't really done it too much better with at the time but majora's mask just takes this whole other kind of atmosphere and so one one really interesting thing that i think a lot of people kind of have come to really love is in the main hub area called clock town there's this mu music track that starts really kind of jovial and like exciting because there's a carnival coming up and it's going to be great over the course of each day the music starts to turn slightly more kind of demented and slightly more evil yep. until it culminates with this final hour track right at the end that is probably the most kind of haunting chilling. and ethereal chilling yep. moment and uh one thing that always sticks with me is uh, he's, he's kind of an inconsequential side character. It's a swordsman that, like, he teaches you how to do some jump attacks or whatever. And um, he's, he's, you get a heart piece from him, that's it. But he seems like this kind of big, kind of strong guy. Yep. In this final hour section, which is like the last kind of two or three minutes of the game before you play the Song of Time, if you go into his house, you can see him hiding in his house right at the back, cowering. Oh, wow. Literally just saying, I don't want to die. <laughs> and it's really kind of subtle things like that where every single character has this kind of progression over the course of three days that could never have been done if Nintendo didn't have these constraints on the development of the game. And it's not just those little intricacies. They have conditional side quests where if you don't action something on a particular day, you can't finish the... They'll, they'll, that character will set on a different path which may open up a different side quest. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the bomber... Uh mask i think and the robbery and that and yeah I think that has an effect on other side quests as well i think that's in clock town um, but just yeah it's just incredible how much they crammed into this n64 game at this time one year's development cycle and executed it near perfectly yeah and i haven't really played anything like it since and i kind of wish i know a lot of kind of indie developers have done something around this concept i think uh, the outer wilds is one that is particularly well known but sadly i haven't got to play it yet because i think it's only pc if yep. it's not only pc and it's on ps4 i'm definitely going to get around to that i don't know if you've played minute either um the, the indie game yes that's, you Minute's could also great, yeah. argue that's an extension on the the, the majora's mass concept yeah but having like a full kind of like triple a i guess game yeah really kind of take this concept and run with it so well and so far it's just yeah it's definitely my favorite 
Um, cool. But kind of, yeah, I guess beyond the Zelda titles, is there any other game that maybe sticks out to you? Yeah, I think one that really sticks out to me is Left 4 Dead 2. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, just hearing about your, your thoughts on this game already, <laughs> it surprised me. Uh, yeah, but, I'm not the biggest um, fan, but I, I can totally see why it's cool as I'm sure you explain. <laughs> yeah, uh, so to explain briefly, it is uh, a game developed by Valve, uh, who at the time I, I loved all their games that they had released. So the Half-Life 2 series, just incredible um, shooters, um, single player shooter series with a fantastic storyline. Portal, which was a really innovative um, puzzle game, one of the most innovative, innovative games that I've, uh, that's been released really. TF2, and um, I played some casual Counter-Strike. Um, and essentially, this game is a, a co-op zombie survival game. And you may think, oh, there's there's loads, there's a dime a dozen of those out in, in the wild. Why should I care about this game? I think this game really is special in two respects. I think the first is the team game, the team-based gameplay. It is far and above anything else I've ever played in terms of there is a mode called Versus where four of you play as the survivors trying to get through a level, five of those levels in a campaign. And the other four are infected, special infected that have special abilities. Now, one of the infected, you just on your own, if you just try and go about trying to defeat these um, AI, I'm sorry, not AI, but uh, the, the team-based survivors trying to get through this level on your own, you're going to fail. There's just no doubt about it. You cannot survive because the other three AI players, I'm sorry, not AI, but um, single player characters, survivors, will always be demolishing you because they'll always be calling you out. It's very crucial that you work as a unit between your different types of powers with the special infected to try and defeat everybody um, in one turn. And it, it's just about, I just love the, the idea of setting up these kinds of set pieces, particular choke points in these levels where you knew, oh, these these um, the survivors are really gonna get stuck here because there's a, a special event that gets triggered here. So we can own in at this special moment, at this special time, if we all say go and execute it perfectly with all our jumps and special abilities, we can just pin them. And I just love that kind of, intricacy with timing of the team-based gameplay with how you perform those actions and then trying to you know you know execute it it was just incredible and then also one other thing about this game is the concept of the ai director and the ai director essentially is a is a kind of tool in the game an ai that is essentially varying the intensity and the placements of enemies throughout the level so no one experience that you play through a level on, on, on repetition um, is ever the same. Um, and it can be quite different in terms of how they place zombie hordes uh, relative to how you're performing in that level and also special infected. So yeah, um, Left 4 Dead 2, one of, I've just had so many great memories playing that in my gap year um, late at night whilst I should have been doing other more important <laughs> things. Uh, one of my favorite multiplayer experiences ever. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with it was it just came out during a time of like proper zombie game saturation. Yep. It seemed to be everywhere. But like now it's quietened down a bit. Could Valve come back with Left 4 Dead 3? Oh, I, I doubt it. It's be that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish. I wish, but... Uh... We can dream. Yeah. How about you, Rob? What, um, what other game, what other favourite game of all time do you have on your mind? Probably one other I'd highlight would be the original, not the sequel, uh, of Super Mario Galaxy. Yes. 
I just remember playing this when I was kind of in the height of my excitement around the Wii. Uh, it was the sort of build-up to the Wii's release at the time, which is incredible to witness as a 10-year-old Nintendo fan. And what, like, reading and watching all this content about this Mario game that's, like, in space was yep. just, like, incredible. And I played Mario Sunshine before and a bit of Mario 64 through the DS uh, remake, which has some terrible controls, but we'll get into that another time. <laughs> uh, but... I, you know, I was, I was fairly, I enjoyed these games, but I wouldn't say like Sunshine blew me away. I remember it actually was a bit too hard at times, but my excitement for Galaxy was off the charts. And I just remember playing it, just completing it so quickly because every single moment in it is just epic. I think it absolutely perfects the concept of, of a Mario game. And even though it's more linear, just everything is just epic it, it really feels word. magical and it's a weird word to say but it really is in terms of the atmosphere the setting the physics game based gameplay in terms of mario's uh, physics interactions with each of the planets i mean there's individual planets in each level but that's just incredible the variety the platforming uh, the the sound design the soundtrack just superb it's just yeah like these planets just being able to explore all over them with like this crazy kind of gravity that hadn't really been explored that much in other games to this soundtrack that is absolutely iconic like it's just incredible the gussie gardens track which yes. i'm sure most people are familiar with ironically the level is actually a bit forgettable i can't really remember too much <laughs> about the gameplay but the song is probably like the song of like the past 10 20 years of video games it's honestly just, it's just such a whimsical soundtrack uh, i remember do you remember that part where I think it's in the hub where it's it's not a very memorable part. It's not a very great part, to be fair, where Rosalina is reading that bedtime story. But just yeah, that very yeah. twinkle, twinkle, little star type kind of uh, I don't even know what that kind of description is, but very kind of starlight kind of inspired um, um, theme there. It's just yeah, it's just great. They did absolutely nail just all of the kind of the feel of the game. And I, th I think for the reason the reason why it's my favorite is the step up from previous kind of uh, 3D games like Sunshine or whatever yep. that maybe were a bit hampered by certain restrictions or whatever. This feels just like the biggest step up into kind of like proper the modern epic gameplay. Scope, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know Nintendo have gone to do some incredible things since and like the likes of Breath of the Wild probably would end up appearing in some of these lists uh, in five, ten years, maybe, for being just, you know, a step beyond this. But Galaxy really felt like the the change, the, the game that really led to that kind of evolution. And I really, really want to revisit it if these rumours about uh, HD remakes on the Switch are true. Yes. I don't, I honestly don't think it needs like that much done to it. Um, the game is basically perfect from a gameplay perspective and it I looks incredible still. Maybe remove the, the motion control. There wasn't too much motion control in that game, but just maybe remove that and I'm fine with it. I'll press it to 1080. Yeah. Map it to a button. I think that'd be yep. fine. Yeah. Although knowing Nintendo's just still attachment to the motion control concept, I don't have too many hopes, but. I, I take anything at this point, to be honest. It's going to be an incredible experience to replay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, going from kind of our favourite gaming moments, I think it's best to kind of go the complete opposite way 
not maybe the least favorite but the most disappointing moment for you what would you pinpoint my most disappointing game experience was buying men in black 2 for the game boy color (laughs) i just remember for firstly the first part of the disappointment was not getting the game i wanted which was pokemon blue or yellow apparently it was out of stock but as a kid i didn't really understand that concept in terms of stuff coming back in stock because it was phased out of their sales and so being so disappointed because i played pokemon gold first weirdly and not pokemon blue or or red Mm. or yellow which is an interesting introduction um i was a big fan of the anime as a kid but yeah that's a weird weird introduction to the series um but there was another game that my i looked cool from the cover so i thought yeah men in black 2 let's let's play that one of the most regrettable experiences I've ever had. Um, not just in terms of the crummy gameplay, it was essentially a side-scroller platformer with you as, I think it was Will Smith, um, fighting through about only three levels of repetitive enemies with really bad hitboxes, so you would die often, and also just uninspired kind of just uh, visuals. It was just disappointing. And the fact that you could complete it in an hour or two without any... Re- you know, replay value. Wow. £30 down the drain. <laughs> and £30 was a lot back in those days when, especially when yes. you were kids. Yes. But yeah. Looking at this album cover, album cover, game cover instead, uh, myself, it, you know, it does look colourful. I could see why you maybe would choose it over Pokemon, <laughs> but uh, what a step down, I guess. That's one of the ones in hindsight that you will eternally regret. Yes. Um, I definitely wised up to uh, Don't Judge a Book by its cover. <laughs> I actually had a similar experience where I remember really clearly I was uh, in a game shop and I basically had the ability to buy any game I wanted. Yeah. This wasn't that big at the time, but um, I had to choose between Pokemon Crystal and I think Poyo Poyo for GBA. Oh. And for some reason, I went for Poyo Poyo. <laughs> I, I still regret it, honestly. I keep on looking at I... Pokemon Crystal on eBay and like... Do I want to buy it just to make up for this regret? That... I, I kind of like Poyo Poyo. I mean, it's not the... I'm not the biggest fan of puzzle games, but it's not a bad title by any stretch. I guess from your choice there in terms of that perspective, yes, it was a, a bit of an odd choice to make. But <laughs> I, I know it has its fans, but yeah, I'm just not a puzzle game fan myself, to mm. be honest. It was a bad choice. I think I just, I bottled it at the time. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah. I think if I had to say my most disappointing one, um, it's hard because I'm quite good at buying games. <laughs> I don't normally get anything that, because I've always been reading game magazine stuff, I've yeah. always kind of known what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. And while there's been a few ones, like I guess We Fit, that maybe were hyped up a bit too much by some of the publications I read, yeah. it wasn't exactly disappointing. I kind of got what I expected. I guess the most disappointing just from the top of my head, was maybe Sonic Heroes. Oh, which okay. Which is kind of a weird choice because I've never been a huge Sonic fan, but at did the you, time... Did you play Sonic 1, 2, 3 on... Um, no, I, I didn't actually. I, I The first one I ever played was Sonic Advance uh, for oh, GBA, which weird. is a great okay. game, but um, I was terrible at it. I couldn't get past like World 4 or 5. I think there's a canyon in it. Um, I think it's World 4. Um, but anyway... Uh, I did have Sonic Adventure 2, uh, the game, the GameCube remake. Is it remake? I think so, yeah. I think it was a re-release, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the Chow Garden, which was fantastic. But, yeah. um, 
I actually quite enjoyed that, even though it had some really clunky levels where you played as Knuckles trying to find treasure. Yeah. But I got Sonic Heroes around probably a few months after I got the GameCube. And I don't know, it just never kind of really struck me. I, I, I don't even know what to say. It's... What, what, what particularly, was it just you just didn't jive with it in terms of the gameplay or the design or stuff? Or what, what was it that? I think it just didn't kind of have beyond the incredibly catchy title theme song. <laughs> I just I don't think it had the kind of the style or the flair that um, Sonic Adventure Two had, and it was also just I think the three three character concept where you kind of switch between in each team it would probably be like Sonic Tails and Knuckles who yeah. like Sonic's quick Tails flies Knuckles is strong that kind of switching between the three just didn't really work that well and. When when you played as Sonic, it was great, but having to like kind of slow down and like just beat through these enemies with knuckles, just wasn't that interesting. And yep. I think that's something that the Sonic team has taken a while to realize that those kind of other using these other characters for this other sort of gameplay elements just you know you have something good with Sonic, just stick with that, stick with what you do best, and don't try and kind of make it too diverse just for the sake of it. Yeah, they've they've tried to do that many times over the past and 10 to 20 years and failed mostly fails yeah yeah and then they got back on on track with was it sonic mania um which yeah who was actually made by i think some kind of retro developers i know christian whitehead that was responsible for the ports for had the mobile phone games the versions of this yeah one too. yeah he was quite big in the modding community and then they actually got him to make sonic mania which is pretty awesome yeah it's it's quite cool to see sega do that but then they released sonic forces like a few months after <laughs> my my cousin the same old my cut co- was my 10 year old cousin is he 10 now ish yeah um he loves he loves sonic he loves sonic <laughs> and he loves sonic forces so you know there, there is a there is a audience for that type of game still yeah we're probably just not in it at this point yeah i need to accept the fact that sonic forces is not made for me <laughs> so oh well Okay, so we've discussed that now, our most disappointing game experiences, but let's lift it up a bit, lift up the mood a bit, and let's talk about, <laughs> well, let's put on, you know, a bit of a beat, if you know what I mean, in terms of what is your best soundtrack? This is something that, like, I just want to say I really am excited to talk about more on this podcast, because game soundtrack and game music, or music generally, is something that is just such a big part of my life and i think video games have some of the most impressive soundtracks it's, of kind of any media it's very different to let's say movies where it's it's much more of a passive additive experience where in games it's it's vital in terms of not just immersing yourself into the video game but also the memories that you have of video games are attributed to those songs and that and you you just have such a strong connection with those in terms of how they support the kind of beat or movement or kind of what you're doing in the video game but also what's happening maybe story-wise um emotionally uh, which makes it a bit different to to movies and also the fact that it can be quite diverse in terms of a lot of the songs or music you hear in video games which can be very varied from you know your triple uh, your traditional orchestral scores to these weird 8-bit beats um is just something you won't find in other types of media mm. It's like you play the likes of Hyrule Field, I guess, and you're instantly transported back yes. to that kind of epic experience of going through this open world environment. And a lot of those kind of 
those songs that like if you played a movie song there are a few kind of like standout examples i guess and a few themes that are really iconic but it's not it doesn't really have the same kind of like it doesn't transform you or teleport you no. straight to that you world don't again. you don't remember uh well at least i'm speaking for myself you don't remember a a theme for a scene in a movie traditionally you might you might remember a big number, a big uh, um, single, but you you won't mm. traditionally remember those particular. If if there's a poignant scene, you won't usually remember the the underlying music or the soundtrack. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's hard choosing a particular moment just because so many of these soundtracks are kind of integral to the overall game experience. Yes. If I could name drop a few, so I've already mentioned Majora's Mask and Mario Galaxy, which do a fantastic job. Uh, Celeste, which released, I think, a couple years ago now, um, has some of the most fantastic audio I've probably ever heard, especially for an indie game. It's just this like fantastic kind of retro track that, this... in each of the levels, is just so cool. And it's really easy to listen to when you're working now, actually, which is a factor, I think, to a lot of this. What I love is also the, t- the use of tempo in terms of the core kind of... Um messaging of the story of depression and and, and the message of depression and, and tackling that in your life uh, mental health mm. and then the tempo going up and down following you know celeste's mood in in the game and it's i just love that aspect in, and also the diversity in the music and the soundtrack in terms of i think there was a use of afro beats in in, in one of the pieces of music um mm. if i if i recall it's just a fantastic game that just used music to add to the story um and the experience yeah, like it creates, it turns this kind of abstract concept, which is like really dark and it's hard to tackle into something that I think when you play through Celeste, you do kind of you really experience it because of how the music does drive yeah. the story and the narrative. I, I think one of the biggest, my favorite parts was the uh, last soundtrack in terms of climbing up to the top of the mountain climbing back to the summit and then the music just getting louder and louder and and the beat getting you know faster and faster and just that accumulation of 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 the uh the the music is just incredible with you getting to the top yeah for an indie developer as well which is such a good job yeah yeah. and i'd also throw out hollow knight there as well for another game that impressed me in a similar way both in terms of its overall design but also just how it uses sound like when you go into these kind of dark crevices in the world, you barely hear anything. You can hear like the kind of the noise of creatures scuttling around. It makes you feel uneasy and just you just want to get out of there, but you're kind of trapped in this kind of dark hollow. And it is sometimes just completely pitch black um, in, in those areas. Yeah, and you literally can't get out. You're you're stuck in there. Yeah, and you have to slowly kind of crawl your way through. And it's just it uses sound design so well. Yeah, but if I had to say an all timer without going back to the ones I really mentioned, I think it has to go to Persona 5 for oh, me recently. Interesting. Which, as well as having like songs which I will call unequivocal bangers, <laughs> like the likes of uh, Life Can Change, uh, Rivers in the Desert, and Beneath the Mask, all incredible songs, but just the way it uses sound design in every single aspect, like from the kind of the menu exploration to just the overworld to the sort of themes in the palace, which grow and grow in kind of like excitement as you go on yeah and even though you're hearing a few themes over and over and over again like the battle theme uh last surprise which uh has the famous you'll never see it coming <laughs> i love that Gosh. i love that you give me more please <laughs> 
<laughs> no, uh, might just cut it out. We'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, the fact that it just manages to keep these songs really interesting, even though hearing them so many times, is such a testament to just how good the songs are, but also just how stylish the whole game is. Yeah, just like the victory music, you hear this like fantastic kind of bass that literally I cannot get enough of. It's so catchy and, and just kind of splashy and jazzy and unlike any other game i've i've seen and in terms of expressing its soundtrack it's it's just out there yeah it's it really does elevate the game from what is a fantastic rpg with a really memorable story to something that is like just an like an all-time fantastic stylish piece of art yeah so what would you mention if you had to say one soundtrack in particular um I would say, from what I've been playing recently, Sayonara Wild Hearts. Um, uh, it's a game that released. Um, oh yes, l- last that year. Yeah, um, it's it's a really short one-hour game with only one or two controls really, um, a face button and the control stick. It's about um, it's about a story where someone's trying to find themselves again after becoming lost in you know perhaps a relationship or what they've been doing in life in terms of jobs or stuff like that. And I kind of, it kind of connected to me in terms of just trying to find out where I am in life in terms of recent, recent um, experiences I've had. And I just loved the kind of pop, synth pop, indie pop kind of thematic throughput in in, in this game in terms of this this is the type of soundtrack that you could listen to as a normal pop album and just listen to again and again and again and that kind of gets me onto one of the best songs in the game begin again which really yes. kind of just adds <laughs> to there's a particular level in this in this game and each level is about only about two three minutes just high essentially the length of a, a normal pop song um that kind of just um is a rep- repetitive kind of um uh, mode of action where you're trying to defeat these three enemies going webbing through a city on a motorbike flying through trying to defeat them doing that three times but also highlighting the fact that you know in life it, life is very repetitive and all that kind of stuff and you've got to begin again when you've um, come to a close at a particular pace and and start over and I, I just i just loved how it connected to me at a particular point in my life and then also how it related to the gameplay and the overall arching story oh it's just great and the actual song itself just incredible yeah like i've i listened to a lot of video game soundtracks and i have like a lot of them downloaded i have cds stuff like that but i don't think any any soundtrack i've listened to kind of with as much regularity as i have yes. sayonara wild hearts over the past year and yeah begin again especially mine i think is really good as well it is like playing a music video and while i think it's kind of maybe a bit of a different aspect to or different angle to the likes of i guess your mario galaxy where this music is kind of supplementary to the main experience sayonara wild hearts while it's like visual design is incredible too like the music really does drive it and like even if you have no interest in playing the game which you really should because it's on apple arcade at least which you can get for a free trial and it might be coming on android soon as well i think Oh, wow. Yeah, well, definitely no excuse. But even if, like, you refuse to play it, please just listen to the soundtrack. I, and I, I can guarantee you after that, you will want to play there, it. There are so some good. really good lyrics in some of those songs. I'm not going to lie. It, there are some good lyrics. Like, it is brilliant synth-pop music. It's up there with, like, the likes of, I don't know, Churches Carly or something and, recently. Yeah, 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 churches, yeah. Like, it's incredible. I really hope that they do more stuff 
because oh, I can't get enough. It's short, but it's so, so sweet. Yeah. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, so I'm thinking about some other games that um, I've really been impressed with. And going touching on the sound design rather than favourite soundtrack, Breath of the Wild. And this is a weird choice because the game doesn't really have a soundtrack. But I don't, I'm not talking about the soundtrack here. I think the sound design is just brave and incredible in terms of the lack of music that is played throughout the game. So essentially, most of the game you're exploring a, a big open world in a very non-linear nature, as opposed to a lot of the, the older Zelda games. And you only hear a few notes on a piano, perhaps in a, in a, in a 10 minute piece of gameplay as you're exploring, um, you know, just walking across some land, trying to get to the next point of interest. Or you might hear, you know, um, slight beats when an enemy is around you or um, a kind of beeping signal as you come near like a, these towers that you're trying to to find and, and search and explore secrets. So, yeah, um, it's it's just incredible. Um, yeah, I think I yeah, think it's, like... it's just brave in terms of its restraint on using a big bombastic soundtrack as the previous Zelda series has used and also just the sound design highlighting particular points of the game or points of interest or interactions you have within the game yeah i've heard a lot of kind of mixed opinions on it because i think it strikes a balance that personally it does really well but i know some people have wanted kind of more of that kind of epic soundtrack to the just to the world and maybe that's in part because the epic tracks they do have are really 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 good but yeah i watched a video actually um I can't remember who it's by on YouTube. Um, let me just Google it. Okay, it's by Scruffy, um, if you've heard of him. But uh, yeah, like it goes over the kind of invisible sound design in Breath of the World. And one thing that really struck out for me um, was I think they recorded different sounds for every single weapon on your back in different environments and different ah. kind of like stealth levels. Cool. So it wasn't just like kind of reusing like clunky sounds or whatever, which I'm sure a lot of other games do, but every single thing has a unique sound and every single interaction with this like really powerful physics engine within the game yep. has its own corresponding like sound effect. And it just adds to the believability of this phenomenal world that Nintendo sculpted. One other thing about the soundtrack, um, I just I, I just have to rave about this, um, is the use of... Um, so there are a few traditional Zelda themes in this game, but they're hidden away. They're played very slowly, so you can't quite recognize them, or they're played very quickly or in unique instruments that you haven't really heard them on. But I, I think yeah. it really highlights the theme of the game in terms of that the past and, and stuff's hidden and moving on in in the Zelda series as a as like a, a big thematic thing of as part of the development, but also the story of a hundred years later, stuff's in the past. And you just hearing these slight beats of music is almost kind of a callback to, oh, this 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 place that you're exploring is has been abandoned, it's it's old, it's decaying and all that kind of stuff. So it fits well with that motif. Yeah, it's like familiar enough that you feel comfortable playing this well. Yeah. But it's also just, yeah, different enough that it really conveys that feeling that time has passed, the world has moved on without Link in it. Yep. And I like, well, I do hope the sequel, which hopefully will not be uh, too long before it's released, although I think maybe coronavirus will push it back to 2021 or 2022. Unfortunately. But 
I do hope that the sequel does include a few more of those kind of memorable Zelda tracks, but also continues this philosophy further. Yeah. So um, let's move on to something slightly different, to the past, to the current now, uh, to the present. And let's discuss what we have been playing in lockdown. Um, probably quite a lot because there's not much else to do in lockdown. Uh, Very true. <laughs> but um, Rob, what have you been playing in lockdown? Uh, what's What's been your biggest highlight? Um, there's been a few things. So I've decided to kind of, well, I've been back in my home home and not in my London flats. I decided to go for a few of the kind of the retro classic consoles, you know, the yep. ones that don't always get too much love. So I've got my Wii U out. <laughs> Wii U cl um, calling a Wii U classic is a very interesting description. <laughs> uh, I was trying to go for that whole kind of like forgotten gap. Ah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm replaying uh, yet again to myself, like sound like a massive Zelda fanboy, uh, the Zelda HD remake. Oh, people are going to be complaining how much we're talking about Zelda. <laughs> Don't worry, from next week on, it'll be nothing, probably, maybe. <laughs> I can't promise anything. But, like, I mean, everything's ported to the Switch, yeah. or is going to be ported, so there's not really much else to do. So while I'm here, I want to explore them. Yeah. But that's definitely not the highlight. The highlight, as I'm sure you can guess, and I'm sure everyone listening can guess, is Animal Crossing, of course, which has come just at the perfect time. Uh, in, I guess, unfortunate circumstances in the, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. but it couldn't really release in a better sort of time and i think so many people have needed this sort of game um when you can't kind of go outside and live freely anymore yeah it's it's sold gangbusters in terms of 11 million in one and a half months insane sales wow. especially compared to the older titles in the series it's it's just yeah wow yeah like it's it's always been one of nintendo's kind of iconic franchises yeah. but i don't think it's ever kind of been on the sort of Zelda, yes again, yep. or Mario kind of level, but with these sales figures, I think it's like the third fastest selling Nintendo game ever yeah. in Japan, yeah. to second to the Smash Bros. games, which is understandable. Like having that sort of traction um, is, yeah, in in some ways a product of its environment, but also just because animal crossing has grown so much um in stature over the past few years and i really do think with new horizons they did nail kind of what they're going for at first i thought maybe it's a bit too different to previous games because you have a lot of emphasis on this kind of world building i read um one of the i think localizers uh, had a twitter thread today where they were they mentioned how before launch people were comparing like in the previous game you're a mayor now with terraforming you're like the god and that kind of at first didn't sit that right with me because i did quite like kind of being put into a town rather than like you kind of having to create it yourself yeah. but it has made it so much more satisfying and especially just having that kind of agency over everything you can do and really craft this island that is basically yours yeah make it just as you know whatever you want has been really really enjoyable and i think i'm on uh, definitely over about 180 hours oh, wow. at this point which is i'm actually a bit ashamed of but looking at my uh switch friends it's actually one of the lower totals so yeah like, nothing to be ashamed of then you're not the highest <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's what i'm telling myself <laughs> but yeah if you can find it and if you haven't bought it already both of which i think are quite rare uh, i highly recommend giving animal crossing new horizons a go cool um 
Awesome. What about you? What's been on your docket? Yeah, so recently? I've been playing quite a few games, but I want to really highlight this weird, quirky game that I've been playing. It's called Piku Niku. Weird, weird. Ah, weird was this one that was released um, on sale? Yes. A few weeks so it was ago. on sale for 40p, and I was thinking, why not? It's 40p. And it had good reviews go wrong. for an indie game, so I thought, yeah, let's give it a try. And it's actually, I'm going to say, it's probably the most I've smiled at a, at a video game in, in probably last few years, and just how much I've smiled at uh, the humour and the interactions you have in, in this game. So, to, oh, that's nice. yeah, yeah, it's just nice to have in, in, you know, such a weird lockdown situation. Um, so just to give a bit of a background, it's kind of like a, a simple 2D puzzle platformer and the gameplay loop is essentially you go and explore these villages and you're a little monster that's just awoken up in a cave i don't know what you are really you've got two legs and a body but you've got no arms so you look a bit <laughs> odd i'm um, not too sure what you are but everyone thinks you're a monster of legend and and they quickly discover that you're actually quite a helpful guy you can actually be quite a rude guy and, and just be a jerk to everyone but uh eventually you do have to be nice um but i just love the kind of on the face manelio type humor that's in the game in terms of it, it's it's so, so weird having these interactions with people that are so um preoccupied with first i want to say first world problems in terms of their toaster's broken oh what should i wear to the club oh i i don't <laughs> i don't I'm I'm not in I'm not in the right mood. I'm unhappy. That kind of stuff. And then you interacting with them in in these weird ways. Um, the overarching story is also very odd in terms of there's essentially this mega corporation that has kind of enslaved everyone in like a dystopian future where currency is now useless. They've essentially agreed with every town in the world that you can have as much money as you want currency in exchange if you give us all these materials and you don't know what purpose that is at the moment um in in, in the game but it's probably quite nefarious but it's, it's just weird seeing this kind of post-capitalist type <laughs> scenario in such a weird <laughs> funny happy-go-lucky kind of um puzzle platformer with this weird kind of uh on the face tongue-in-cheek humor it's just it's just so odd um so weird so funny um I, i'm just having a blast yeah, that sounds like exactly the type of game that uh, Devolver would end up publishing. Yes, yes. Um, publishing. It's just that's kind of it looks charming, but it's got that kind of like that like humor and underlying theme. like serious tone and <laughs> messaging that's uh, very relevant to today's world. Which, uh, yeah, yeah. Like it, we're looking at the kind of the, the just the graphics of the kind of start of the game. It looks a lot like the kind of Loco Roku series, yeah. which um, famously. Um, released on PSP back in the day and it was just kind of like quite fun although I don't think it kind of had that kind of like the edge to it that it sounds like Piku Niku has. And also just talking about the music as we were talking about soundtracks there's only one real theme in the game I mean there might be one other but essentially it's just orchestrated and organized in different ways slow down um, a bit higher and low in places and it just kind of emphasizes the fact that all of the world is just kind of enslaved under this one corporation. It's just all one unit now. The world has become so homogenous, and it's just <laughs> just adds to the kind of themes of the game, in my opinion. It does sound like the perfect kind of title to start playing now. Also, it, it, you you will probably look at the game and you're thinking, what is this person on about? Talking about these weird <laughs> Marxian post-capitalist type <laughs> a commentary on this very simplistic uh, puzzle platformer. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. 
what else? I don't think it's still on sale at the moment, but no. um, it's cheap enough that yeah, definitely give it a go if that sounds like your sort of thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely do. Um, Rob, what else have you been playing in lockdown? Oh, um, it's hard to think of something beyond Animal Crossing, to be honest. Um, I have been uh, going back to Splatoon 2, which is a bit of a weird one, considering it released, I think, about three years ago. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been taking up a fair bit of my time. Also, uh, on a slightly different or completely different note, Ring Fit, ah. is, um, I managed to get one. And I think I think I sent you the, cli- <laughs> the link at the very right, uh, like, I don't know how I, I uh, located it in stock because it's to give a bit of background it's been out of stock everywhere and been selling on ebay for 200 pound uh given the lockdown situation wow. yeah i had to be quick like i had email alerts set up as well <laughs> and as soon as i saw it come into stock just straight to that pre-order but yeah like it's it's surprising how like physically exerting it actually is yes i went into it kind of seeing things on twitter where people were like I've played it for half an hour and I'm exhausted and I'm, I do quite a lot of running. I think I'm relatively fit, although probably not at this kind of like the arm sort of muscles, uh, ring fit users. I thought going into it, I'd be fine, but using this kind of Pilates ring to kind of stretch in out and do this like really kind of diverse range of exercises has completely destroyed me. I've done it a few times. In that Pilates ring, as in you, you pull in and you can't just pull out or push in. You can't just, fully squeeze it if you if you if you get what i mean you've got to squeeze (laughs) quite hard and and the game will kind of signal you to do repeated maybe a hundred of these pulls and pull outs uh, pull in and pull outs exercises and um it just you just realize how quickly you you kind of get tired just doing that over and over again and how much it hurts and um kind of you know gives you a good exercise regime well not maybe good but you know something to to work out to well, it definitely made me ache the next day, so um, that's something. But yeah, like it has quite good uh, difficulty settings, so no matter how involved you want to get, you can swap it up, and you can do it so that for each enemy, you only need to do like 10 or so reps, yep. or it might be like 20, 25, 30, uh, and you can build it up over time as well as you kind of get more confident or as you literally get fitter through playing it. Just to give a bit of background, this game has a weird single player adventure RPG mode, which is very odd to say about <laughs> a fitness game. <laughs> um, it's uh, essentially you're going around this world map levels of seven minutes. It will give you like a time indication of how much you're going to exercise in the in the level. Uh, which is quite nice to have but essentially you're exploring the world by running on 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 the spot so you're jogging on the spot and the joy con recognizes that you're running with it strapped onto your left thigh i think upper thigh and then you eventually get into battles with enemies um where you instead of selecting attacks or defense or potions like a normal rpg you're selecting exercises and so you select an exercise and you then do the exercise, whether that's using your whole body or using the actual motion Pilates ring thing, um, to do about 30 or 40 of these things, about half very slowly and half very quickly. And it's just it's just very odd. It's it's very like stop go type of gameplay to integrate this type of exercise into like an RPG. But it's it's interesting and unique, I'd say the least. Yeah, it works surprisingly well because 
while some of the exercises don't use the ring and are quite separate, there are some where like you might be kind of like bringing your knees up to your chest and yes. kind of kicking out and the game makes you up the tempo for like the last few and it does actually feel like you are kind of doing something you're not just doing exercises for the sake of it but you are actually doing something that is hurting this weird mythical enemy and yeah it's it's surprising that they actually managed to nail both the adventure rpg side and also have a proper fitness component to the game yeah it's not kind of half like you know half baked on either side it's like a solid product from both perspectives yeah so awesome. um, now we've discussed the past we've discussed the present now it's time for the ghost of was it ghost of christmas future i can't remember the how it's time to move to the future go to the future yeah we're looking forward now yes enough backwards Let's let's go straight down the years or down the past months. lockdown. And what are you most looking forward to playing this year, next year, perhaps in the future, Rob? Yeah, I guess it's hard to kind of exactly predict what's going to be coming out anytime soon with yeah. these crazy situations going on right now. I think if I had to say one or two, like there's The Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima, both from PS4, coming out quite recently, as well as the new Xenoblade Definitive Edition. Okay. But the ones I'm most excited for, as I've, I think I've alluded to previously in the podcast, are the uh, rumoured Super Mario Galaxy and Sunshine and Super Mario 64 HD remakes that might be coming out as part of some sort of bundle for Mario's 30th anniversary. Yeah. These games, like, while I think Sunshine and Galaxy both stand up really well today, I'm really interested to see what they'll do with Mario 64, whether they'll incorporate the elements from the DS game, whether they'll completely remake the, the graphics and textures to make it properly modern, yeah. or if it's just going to be just like kind of some sort of port, who knows? But like those three games are all incredible and need more attention um, in this kind of modern era when you can't really play them unless you have a Wii or you have these old consoles. It'd be good to revisit them on the most modern hardware. I'm hoping 64 is... A mixture of all the features in the DS version, mi taking out that weird eight D-pad point control system they oh, have. It's Even just... though that why right, sixty-four was known for its three sixty, you know, um, mm. uh, degree control movement in a, in a three D platformer. So why did they take that out? That's just very odd. But then perhaps upresing it to ten eighty. That's what I expect, honestly. Yeah. Like the the Mario sixty four DS game, I guess I guess we'll mention it now because we're on the topic. It was like really impressive back in the day as the DS launch title, and yep. like seeing a handheld do that was like wow. But yeah, it just didn't really have the hardware for it. it would have been cool to see it on three DS, but yeah, it needs to be reintroduced in the modern era. Whether that's just yeah an upscaling, that would be cool. As long as it has all of the new content from the DS one, I be perfectly happy but yeah hopefully that does release this year there's been a few rumors that um this uh release or this bundle however it's going to form we don't exactly know what it's going to look like maybe push back a bit because of the coronavirus yep. but yeah i just can't wait to get my hands on that cool what about you yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to cyberpunk 2077 um i just love oh, yes. fps rpgs deus ex series is one of my favorite um, immersive sim type FPS RPGs and I just love the type of games that give you 
a choice of how you tackle different scenarios, uh, whether that's stealthily, action-packed, kind of through dialogue choices, that kind of thing. This game seems to mm. be exploiting that to the max in terms of non-linear conditional type storylines on, on whichever path you go through. Let's see if it lives up to that kind of hype um, that a lot of these types of games try and live up to. Um, and just Keanu Reeves. You and know. Keanu Reeves. I mean, wow. Why? <laughs> like, Keanu Reeves is just, just, in, just makes me want to you know add him to anything and it just the quality of what he, what he's in it just increases substantially um definitely but yeah I, i'm just looking forward to that and, and, and i love 80s style blade runner inspired kind of futuristic style settings that that's just a, a big allure to me as well so the setting the gameplay uh, a very kind of hardcore rpg releasing very soon very excited awesome yeah like, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Cyberpunk, as one of these games that's kind of bridging the gap between this gen and next gen, yep. whether it's going to maybe be re-released on Xbox, like Xbox Series X, uh, or whatever the other versions of it are going to be called. I'm still not sold on a name. Nice segue, Rob, because why don't we talk <laughs> about the biggest takeaway of this week in gaming? Um, and there has been a lot, a big... Part, uh, a big slice of Xbox news recently in terms of their recent Xbox event, which revealed gameplay, well, gameplay of uh, Xbox yes. Series X games. <laughs> I think that's my biggest takeaway here, that um, gameplay trailers do actually need gameplay in them. Yes. But uh, I, I don't know exactly what to make of it. The games look cool, and especially the new Assassin's Creed game does look like it's going to be really really impressive yep. and i'm a massive fan of this viking setting that they're doing but i'm still not exactly sold on the differences between this gen and next gen i know that um through the the power of these new consoles ssds that they'll be able to completely eradicate a lot of loading times yep. which rather than just you know the loading screens it'll be able to create worlds that just have so much it's more it's a quality of life feature that you'll realize you need when you actually go play play the game on that console and go back to an older console but you don't necessarily yeah. appreciate from just looking at specs and stats and gameplay and stuff like that yeah it's just kind of weird that none of the trailers or none of the kind of the promotional videos showing actual gameplay and showing actual mm. games at all and it's, have it's, really promoted this. it's weird that they're not even pushing the power of the console like a lot of the gameplay they showed or the games didn't really show why you need a series x console over the current the vampire masquerades one was just like it's, it's, it looks previous gen it's weird because it's good. um it's a relatively low budget relative to aa triple a game so i can understand like why the game's produced like that but it's it's very weird yeah. to showcase that in your first ever real of kind of xbox series x um gameplay yeah i think maybe xbox uh, or microsoft hyped it up a bit too much yep. the event um i know there's one coming next month or is it july later down the line um that's going to show like the proper first party like the really big reveals that should be very exciting but until then no, i'm definitely looking forward to that maybe this just came a bit too early and had a bit too much promotion behind and people yep. got the two events confused i mean i was a bit confused so there was going to be i thought they were going to show something to do with obsidian or something to do with double fine there and they hinted that those games will be shown later but having just nothing at this event yeah. it's a bit of a wasted opportunity biggest biggest um, excited big my favorite moment troy baker nolan north dirt five <laughs> can't wait for that <laughs> 
the representation yeah. there. Can't wait for their character reveals. <laughs> They're just always here. <laughs> I'm glad there's at least a few constants in the game <laughs> yes. over time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's very good time to uh, wrap up our debut episode of the Oko uh, One Hit KO podcast. Yeah, it's it's been great, you know, just talking about you know our personal experience in gaming and what we've been playing and stuff like that. Um, hopefully, next week we'll have uh, another guest besides us uh, who can you know talk about talk about their experiences and you know discuss what they've been playing as well and have a bit more of a lively debate in terms of perhaps uh, yeah. a few games that we have some strong <laughs> opinions on. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the problem, especially with us two, is we, we have a lot of kind of shared views and stuff, whether that's like, you know, Zelda. It'd be good to get someone else in that might be able to play more of the devil's advocate, yes, the contrarian, yes. um, who hates everything. Um, so, Matt, if you're listening, we're looking forward to you coming on. <laughs> or someone else. Yes. Who knows? And I can't wait to debut, hopefully, in our next podcast, the One Hit KO! segment um which um still hasn't been fully uh scoped out but i like the sound of it so it's staying in i think the, the key takeaway for anyone listening is there's gonna be more sections more guests more content more videos more debates just more everything yeah all in one punch oh i like that content. um but what way to end if you've got any feedback on anything you've done this is as we said very fluid so do hit up our email facebook insta twitter um, our email is onehitkopodcast at gmail.com if you've got any questions that you'd like to send us or you know, comments and stuff like that. And yeah, thank you for joining me and cool. Rob. Thanks for listening. It's been a great hour and 10 minutes ish. Yeah. We look forward to having you with us next week yeah. for our One Hit KO podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Amal. Speak to you soon. KO. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, seriously, how are we going to end this? <laughs> I think we should just leave it like that for <laughs> the moment. <laughs> keep keep it weird and, and odd until we can... I think that's quite nice.